Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So as I said on the Twitter box, this tweet from Trump is a jump the shark moment. Going after Kaylee McEnany? Calling her milk toast? What the? What the hell are you doing? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. Trump tweeting out about Kelly McEnany, his former press secretary. And I'm quoting here from Truth Social. Kaylee Milktoast McEnany. Milktoast is in quotes. Kaylee Milktoast McEnany just gave out the wrong poll numbers on Fox News. I am 34 points up on DeSanctimonious, meaning Ron DeSantis, not 25 up. While 25 is great, it's not 34. She knew the number was corrected upwards by the group that did the poll. The rhinos and globalists can have her. Fox News should only use real stars. This is a ridiculous statement. And jump the shark is the right way to put it. For a lot of people, they'll be like, done, gone, goodbye, see ya, don't talk to me again, you loser. And we should be clear, he sounds like a loser here. Now, I never will tell you that this means he can't get elected. People will do what they do. And if your choice was Trump or Biden, what would you do? If your choice was Trump or Kamala Harris, Trump or Pete Buttigieg, what would you do? It's a great question because it forces one into the honest answer. It goes along the lines of David Mamet in The Secret Knowledge, a fantastic book. Absolutely fantastic. Let's say the state that you're in, the city you're in, the country that you're in is falling apart. In the next five minutes, It's going to be destroyed. Everything is not going to exist. There are two planes. One is going to Jerusalem. It's going to Israel. The other one is going to Syria. Which plane do you get on? Now, the purpose of this argument, of this exercise, is for those people who want to call Israel an apartheid state, Israel a bully, they, they hate Israel, of course they want all the Jews dead, but that's enough about Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, both members of Congress. It is about when push comes to shove, not your pseudo-intellectual fantasy freak show. What's your plan? What is your plan? And of course, every rational person goes to Israel. Every rational person goes to Israel. It's not a debate. Every other person is crazy as can be and is a fool. Trump or Biden, I know my answer. It's Trump. Trump or Buttigieg, I know my answer. It's Trump. Trump or Kamala Harris. Trump or Kamala Harris. I believe we all know our answers. I didn't think this was really up for debate. The question before us is, does it have to be Trump? Does it have to be Trump? 
Look, the whole de- the sanctimonious thing is pathetic. It was there a moment where Trump referred to DeSantis as sinister? Uh, so we're clear, DeSantis doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't. You endorsed him. Okay, maybe you shouldn't have. Here we are. He was he was uh, at the bottom, and you brought him back from the dead. And you know what he did? Put together a solid state and won re-election by a landslide, not because of you, but because of his actions. And what do you do? You're Donald Trump. You claim that New York handled COVID better? New York handled COVID better than Florida? It's completely insane. It is an embarrassing pathetic thing to say what he, he put out a a tweet that said that that uh new york handled it better and you look at that tweet and you're left asking yourself is donald trump actually saying there should have been more lockdowns the guy who gave us fauci kept fauci kept burks kept the rest when he's like oh these were terrible people he kept them all And he got rid of the people who maybe could have been helpful. He's going to tell us that New York did a better job and we should have had more lockdowns. What kind of insane is this? You're so desperate to win a a primary. You'll say that this garbage, what what is clearly a lie, what is clearly false, what is clearly bullcrap. What the hell is wrong with you? And what's wrong with anybody who's pushing for him in in a primary? This is weird. I mean, the COVID thing is is jump the shark. This thing about Kaylee McEnany is nuts. Nuts, ignorant, pathetic, lowdown. You understand that Trump has absolutely no loyalties. None. Trump is loyal to Trump, and if you're not loyal to Trump, then you're the enemy. And this is how he works. You got to believe at this stage of the game that anybody who's working for him just wants the paycheck. I don't argue that there aren't people out there who love him. I had posted uh, that his comments about Kaylee McEnany are pathetic. His comments about Ron DeSantis and Andrew Cuomo and COVID are pathetic. New York did a better job. Thus, it's comment about uh, Cuomo. Quote, Trump sounds like a fool in both of these instances. Don't defend foolish statements or foolish people. And the response, the response that I got was was so great. You're the one who looks like a fool. Good burn. Good burn. Well, well done. Well played. I, I, I don't apologize for anything that I've said here because I'm not the guy who put this madness out. And a lot of people are asking an interesting question. Who is going to work for this guy? If, if, if Trump is going to be like this, who is going to work for him? The answer is many, 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 many people. You never have to question whether or not people are going to work for the possible president of the United States or if he should win the president of the United States. Of course, people are going to work for him. But you got to know what you're getting into going in. Let's argue that, that, that Trump wins. Trump is the 47th president of the United States. And he turns to me and he goes, Tony, you're huge. You're wonderful. You're great. You're spe- I can't really do a Trump impression. Be my press secretary. Even I would be like, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, I know I'd get fired in a week. I know it'd be madness, but what a book. 
Now you say to me, Tony, you're going to do it just to write a book? Listen to me carefully. Anybody who is in the Trump orbit right now is doing it to write a book. They're all going to write books. Trump is the guy who inspired this by the insanity. And he's still a better choice than Joe Biden. Don't ever confuse issues. Although I I will tell you for sure that a lot of this is confusing. Don't ever confuse your issues. There are candidates to vote for other than Trump, candidates who bring much less baggage. It's just fact. Trump still has popularity and still has the possibility to win a primary. You couldn't say right now that he can't. It sounds ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Of course he can win a primary. If you want him to or not is a different question than whether or not he could win a primary. And he could win the nomination. Yes, he still can. You don't have enough data now to show that he couldn't, at least based on polling. I think these things hurt him because the people like myself and very well could be people like you who are willing to still vote for him if he's the nominee but are sick and tired of this garbage. Dear Lord, you sound like a loser. He does. He sounds like a huge loser here. These tweets are the tweets of a loser. These are not the tweets of a confident man. This is Puttstown. Right here. And he shouldn't do it. But as we've discussed, unforced error after unforced error, the man's the king of unforced errors. But if he's the nominee, there's no choice. I'm hitting the lever for Trump. And I know that the vast majority of you are as well. I know this. You know this. Of course, that's going to happen. If it's Judge, if it's Kamala Harris. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not doing it right. There it is. There it is. Voting for Trump. Question is, is this the guy who should be the nominee? More and more, he's showing that no. He's showing no. This is all ridiculous. Lashing out pathetic ridiculousness nonsense. And he deserves derision. And I love it when the, 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 the Trump acolytes, the only Trumpers, come back, you don't understand, I understand plenty. You don't have anything to teach me. Okay, little kids, sit down on the corner there. Sit down, wait your turn. Adults are talking. Sometimes it is referred to as men are talking. I, I should have used that expression. That gets them more crazy. Trump looks the fool here. Trump looks weak here. Going after Kaylee McEnany is crazy town. Claiming that Andrew Cuomo did a better job than Ron DeSantis is a lie. He's lying out as you know what. And everybody knows it. So why is he saying it? Well, because the only Trumper, they'll repeat it and be like, yeah, that's right, and DeSantis isn't loyal and all the rest. The only Trumper and the never Trumper are both ridiculous. The never Trumper owns no conservative bona fide. The conservative deals with their real world the way it really is, not the way they wish it was. And if it's Trump against Biden and the never Trumper is not willing to vote for Trump, the never Trumper isn't a conservative and isn't worth their salt. The only Trumper is a populist and has no connection to conservatism whatsoever because they aren't engaged in conversations of policy. You're engaged in idolatry. These are different things. 
You won't recognize when somebody is screwing up. You won't recognize when somebody is failing to pass certain levels of decency tests. Now you say to me, well, you're not worried about decency with Biden. Oh, no, 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 no. I argue that this is all pathetic from Trump, but he's still a better choice for America than Biden. But when I'm choosing a nominee, I think there might be better choices than Trump based on these kinds of tweets that show what a disloyal and ugly guy he is. Cuomo did a better job on COVID is a disgusting thing to say, and it's a lie. It's a lie. Trump lied. It's a lie. Say it with me now. Trump lied. It's a lie. Anything else said is a lie. So it makes guys like DeSantis or um, uh, Nikki Haley, or Tim Scott, or Vivek, look better by comparison, because they're not saying this stuff. By the way, there's a, uh, there's rumor that uh, uh, Chris Christie is going to get into this race next week, and you're like, where the... Where the hell is the path for Chris Christie? Let me say two things. First of all, there is no path for Chris Christie. You don't have to even bother with it. Except... What if there's a role for Chris Christie? And I had to go back to my own words to follow this one through. I said about Donald Trump in 2016, if Donald Trump is in this race just to get Jeb Bush out of the race, the man's an American hero. Let him get Jeb Bush out, then let him walk away. I'd say thank you. I would hold parades for the man. He then went on to win the presidency. But getting Jeb Bush out of the race was very important because Jeb Bush was the wrong guy and the establishment needed to be told that. What if Chris Christie's entire purpose is just to punch Trump in the nose and not worry about what happens to him because he knows it's over? He knows his time to run was in 2012. He got out-Trumped by uh, Trump in 2016. He made himself look the fool since then. What if now is just the revenge play? I'm going to get into this race to beat the living crap out of the guy, call him names, call his sister names, call his uncle names, wait till you see what I do to his kids. I don't care because when it's done, I'm going to go back to ABC and doing my commentator stuff. But I'm going to make sure that DeSantis gets the nomination or at least Trump doesn't get the nomination. What if that's the plan? Now you say to me, Tony, he's not getting in the race not to get elected president. Well, I don't think he has a path. But what if the plan I just laid out for you works? Because he's willing to stand up to Trump, and that makes him popular. And the next thing you know, he gets a second place showing in Iowa. Ah. See, the funny thing about a plan is that it might work. Right? That's an Alinskyism. Sometimes you've got this plan to up, uproot the system or upend the system. Saul Alinsky, the communist, the agitator, the, the, the organizer. Well, part of your... Um, discussions about a plan is that sometimes it works and then you have to deal with the consequences of your plan working. The consequences of his plan working is that he he, uh, gets the nomination. Trust me, uh, I'm not a believer that he's going to get the nomination. But I'm questioning whether or not his entire philosophy is to punch Trump in the face repeatedly. I'm And and these things are going to add to it. Because he's going to be able to talk about Trump's disloyalty from a very personal perspective. And it's going to be interesting, to say the least. So while I don't think he has a path, uh, there could still be a method to the madness. Let's, Let's leave it at that. 
The only Trumper and the never Trumper are both wrong. And I am convinced that the only Trumper, not only will they not vote for DeSantis, they'll push Trump to run third party. Like, like I'm really convinced that there's a real issue here. But I, I could be wrong. I'm willing to wait it out. But I'm, I'm convinced there's an issue. Regardless of where you are on Trump, this tweet about Kelly McEnany is pathetic. This tweet about uh, DeSantis and COVID is pathetic. It's pathetic stuff. And Trump shouldn't engage in unforced errors. He's got all the opportunities in the world. Just stop it with this madness. But he won't because he can't. He can't. And that's the problem. He just can't keep himself under control. Now, it might not hurt him. As I said, he could still be the nominee. He could still be the nominee. But none of this helps him. He didn't gain a vote from any of this. He only potentially lost votes. There is only negative that comes from this. No positive whatsoever. Possible no effect, but there's no possibility of a better effect. Nothing was gained. And that, to me, is foolish, foolish stuff. This is Tony Katz today. Are you kidding me? Over an 80-year-old man who, if he lives, will be the oldest sitting president in the history of the country? We don't have a debate. This is not a democracy by the people. It's a democracy by them. That's James Vanderbeek, the actor, hitting on the DNC for not allowing a debate between Biden and really Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who we had on the show last week. RFK Jr. was getting 20% in the polls. There's a serious conversation going on here. And now you've got the celebrity class. All right, he may be a D-lister today, but I think people still like him. I don't think, I don't see why people wouldn't like him. Saying this is ridiculous. This is not a democracy by the people. This is being told what it is you'll take. Now, the Democratic Party has a different take on this, of course. They're saying Biden is the president. He's the leader of the Democratic Party. We're not challenging him. He's our nominee. The people, however, are saying something different. So what do you believe in? The elitists like Simone Sanders and others who decide who the nominee is or the people who want to have a say in who the nominee is? Now, if you're cheering this, and I can get that, I can get that inclination, Get this straight. Joe Biden is easier to defeat than Robert F. Kennedy Jr. It was a lovely interview. I look forward to doing it again. You understand how left RFK Jr. is, right? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. I'm not left. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is left. You can find that interview over at TonyKatz.com. The guy is a real leftist. Real, real left. Dangerous, in my view, with his policies. Even though it was a good interview, and I'd interview him again. But I think the story here is how Vanderbeek is speaking for a lot of people in the Democratic Party. They want the debate. They want an option. The polling does not look good for Biden. Multiplicity. uh, Large groups of Democrats not happy, thinking Biden's too old, thinking Biden has failed them. Biden can't handle the task. He's not up to the rigors of the job, as Vanderbeek is pointing out here. So it's not that a celebrity said this. It just happens the celebrity got him the attention. It's that the Democratic Party is saying this. Members of the Democratic Party, the people are sounding just like Vanderbeek here. And I don't know if the Democratic Party can ignore that. I don't know if the party elites can really ignore it.
We'll watch. We'll see. We'll find out. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. The debt limit is the story. Really, this this whole thing is the story because, well, there's a question about why we even got to a level of a negotiation on this. What was the point? If you have Republicans who had already passed legislation, they had already passed the legislation to raise the debt limit and sent it off to the Senate, why negotiate about anything? Just go tell the Democratic senators to vote on it. Tell Schumer to put it on the table. It never made any sense to me. Why a negotiation even took place. Tony Katz, good to be with you. There was this commentary from Congressman Chip Roy of Texas about it. My colleagues, be very clear. Not one Republican should vote for this deal. It is a bad deal. No one sent us here to borrow an additional $4 trillion to get absolutely nothing in return. But at best, if I'm being really generous, a spending freeze for a couple of years. That's it. That's about what you get. And frankly, you're going to make things worse. And my Democratic colleagues know it. That's why they're supporting it. Mm -hmm. That's why they're going around gleeful. Like, there's a reason our Democrat colleagues support this. There's a reason that Mitt Romney supports this. There's a reason that Bill Kristol supports this. It's all the same stuff. I mean, he was not pulling any punches there. Congressman Larry Bouchon joins me right now. Fellow Hoosier from the 8th District, the southwest areas of Indiana. Sir, you see this legislation that comes before you put together in the negotiation between President Biden and your speaker, uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy. As you've read it, what's your take on it? Well, let me just say, uh, Chip Roy is a great member of Congress, but I'll respectfully disagree with what he just said. Uh, the, the debt ceiling has to be raised, first of all, for your listeners. And the reason is, Tony, is because we're borrowing 24 cents on the dollar every day. And so if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we'll have to cut federal budget across the board, including Social Security and Medicare, by, by a fourth the day after it's not raised. Look, I'm for a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution. I can't get anybody out here to bring one up. But discretionary spending isn't the problem anyway. It's really a false narrative. The budget cannot be balanced cutting discretionary spending. For example, if we eliminated the entire Department of Defense budget right now, we'd still run about $300 billion uh, in in debt, in deficit. So the problem is mandatory spending, 63% of the budget, and most of that is health care costs. They're too high. I'm not talking about the programs. We don't need to cut Medicare, Medicaid programs. What we need to do is get a handle on health care costs, why the bills are so big. You know, Indiana has some of the highest health care costs in the country. So, you know, the, the, the true debt is going to go up no matter what you do. You can't, you can't fix that by cutting discretion, only discretionary spending. So that's the reason why uh, the debt is going to go up. No doubt about it. We're going to have more added to the debt in the next year with this or any other bill that only addresses uh, mandatory spending. So, look, this isn't perfect. I voted for the original bill out of the House. 
But the reality is, is we have divided government and this makes progress. But we have a huge problem with spending. Most of it is on the mandatory side. Well, and I, I've been trying to get it addressed, Tony, on the health care side here. It's a battle with the health care industrial complex, I'll call it, to get control of these health care. I'm not arguing, sir, that we don't have an issue with, with health care spending or pricing. I'm not arguing an issue with spending uh, in total. I agree with you. But I want to go back to this legislation. This legislation yeah. discusses a suspending the debt limit till 2025, but doesn't discuss any caps on it. This allows for, as uh, Congressman Roy and many others have, have mentioned, uh, Congressman Dan Bishop is another one of the people who's mentioned it. It could be four choice five trillion six trillion dollars is it a very republican move to have a legis- bit of legislation that doesn't rein in spending by actually reigning in spending yeah my preference would have been tony to have a dollar certain amount to your point not a date certain and i made that very clear to our leadership uh, i think you know the negotiations people wanted to get past past the presidential election now let me say this it's not open-ended spending because the Republicans have the House majority. So any there's not going to be any increased spending because we have the House majority. You know, if this was a date certain and the Democrats had 60 votes in the Senate and they had the House and the White House, let me tell you, it would be a big problem. But we're going to be able to uh, control the, ma- the discretionary side of this. Again, the mandatory spending will march on. Let me tell you what's, what is in this. There's no new taxes. The Biden administration wanted $5 trillion in that. There's Im- improvement in the work requirements for safety net programs. It's not perfect, but it's improvement. There's modest permitting reforms a lot of the energy industry needs because they can't get pipelines done. And it rolled, It does actually control non-defense discretionary spending back to 2022 levels, but continues to fund the, D, the Department of Defense and the VA programs uh, like we, would, we, we want. It calls back $30 billion almost in COVID money. That's a slush fund that the administration can hand out. And it stops the, the 2023 increase in IRS funding that they, they're trying to do. Another thing, Thomas Matthews... Oh, well, sir, allow, allow me the moment of the pushback. Talking to yeah. Congressman Larry Bouchon of Southwestern Indiana, the 8th District, a medical doctor by, by trade. Um, that last part there about the IRS agents, it's 80,000 IRS agents, and we've basically cut $2 billion for whatever it is from what they're going to get. You're still going to have a massive increase in IRS agents. And the promise made when Kevin McCarthy became speaker was that this was a day one priority to not put these IRS agents in because they're going to go after the little guy in the gig economy making a little extra scratch and not go after rich people not paying their quote-unquote fair share. And in this deal, that's not happening. How is well, that not a broken promise? Yeah, it's not a broken promise because the increased IRS agents was over a 10-year budget window, okay? So it's not in one year. And and so what this does is it allow in 2023 that they can't do it. They can't add the IRS agents uh, this year this year. In DC, they budget over a 10-year window. So it's not a promise broken. We we did rescind, rescind the entire $80 billion that was over 10 years, um, and, and most of it on the back end, you know, most of the money in the out years. Um, so this makes progress. This cuts off the increased funding in 2023. Every year we're going to have to fight for the remaining part of it. I agree with you on that, but that's what we did. 
And then the other thing is Thomas Massey from Kentucky, who has come out in support of this also, he has suggested that if we can't get our appropriations bills passed by the end of the fiscal year, we should we should not put in a temporary funding with a continuing resolution at full funding. We should put it at a lower amount. And we did in this bill, 99 percent, which means at the end of this year, if Congress doesn't act on funding, the budget is going to get that we can put forward going forward will be not only 99 percent of what the current spending. That is a big deal. But does that include military spending? Because what he's talking about is the penny plan there. The idea of a 1% uh, reduction. We saw this in years past as a conversation in the Obama years about sequestration. Is does that reduction include the military? Yes, it's across the board and 99%. So it puts pressure on Congress to act. And so, you know, continuing resolution, as your listeners probably know, means when Congress doesn't do its job, well, you have to fund the government. So what do you do? You do this temporary continuing resolution to keep the funding at the same level that you have it currently. What this says, it's only going to be 99 percent. So there's going to be a one percent cut. Looking at that at the DOD, that's about nine billion dollars, eight and a half, nine billion dollar cut. So nobody wants to do that on the Republican side and the Democrat side. All of their social programs that they favor will, will have the same effect. So, you know, overall, it cuts about $2.1 trillion uh, in spending over the next 10 years compared to the projected amount. So I, let me just say this. This is far, far from imperfect. But the reality is until we get a balanced budget amendment, we cannot – I cannot get – the Congress to address this 63% of the budget, which is mandatory spending. And that is what the bulk of the the addition to the national debt is going to be over the next year. Could it be filled $4 trillion? Yes, it could be. But the reality is most of that is going to be on the mandatory side because we have controlled the year-over-year spending on the discretionary side with this. It's not perfect. Uh, I don't particularly like it. I think the deal is not what I would do, but with divided government, you can't, you know, not be able to borrow money when you're spending 24 cents on the dollar of borrowed money. So let's 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 dig into that a little bit more. Talking to Congressman Larry Bouchon, and uh, I I've, I have never uh, known you in all the times we've had to talk, not not to hit me straight, even if we disagree and we we disagree uh, right sure. now. And and uh, let's continue the straight talk. You've yes. mentioned now twice this idea of divided government. Uh, You also mentioned as we started that you voted for the first bill. The first bill raised the debt limit and put a cap on the spending and it passed the House. Why is Kevin McCarthy, why are Republicans negotiating anyway? Why wasn't the pressure and why isn't the pressure on Senator Chuck Schumer to bring this in front of the Senate, pass it or, or, or turn it down? If you pass it, let Joe Biden veto it if he doesn't like it. Why wasn't the argument, hey, whoa, 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 we passed this thing. The Senate can work on it now. We're going on vacation. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, Tony. And because in general, in these spending things, politically, the Democrats usually have the upper hand because they can they 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 have no problem, honestly, tanking the economy to get their way. And, you know, we've heard from all kinds of people that going over the debt ceiling again, 24 percent cut. 25% 25% cut across the board, including Social Security and Medicare. Honestly, I would think I, they just don't really care if they want to get their way. So, you know, Republicans, uh, we do care. We want to be responsible. 
We want to get a de- the debt ceiling raised, but we want to make progress. I've been part of this for now 13 years. I vote against clean debt ceilings all day and twice on Sunday. But this is one of the best debt ceiling gets that we've had since we voted for it. Voted for it. Let me tell you, and during the Trump administration, the debt ceiling was raised three times, and he signed that into law, and we got nothing for it. So uh, I, we put pressure on them, but they really don't care if they went – as long as they went politically. I mean, that's the, that's the reality of it, Tony. In the conversations I've heard from Democrats, whether it's Congressman Hakeem Jeffries or Rokahana, Catherine Clark, there is a you talk about, you know, uh, Chip Roy talked about Democrats wanting this. And, and I think you're talking about some Democrats who, who, who want this. They don't seem to be talking like people who want this. They seem to talk like people who want to scuttle this thing from happening. It's, it's to me. That's what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? What are the Democrats going to do? And. Does Kevin McCarthy have a majority of the Republicans on his side to get this passed? Now, the, to answer your second question, the answer is yes. I suspect we'll get at least two-thirds of House Republicans to support this. On the Democrat side, let me tell you, they don't want this. They don't want this at all, even the leadership. They, they're trying to get votes to pass it on their side because uh, they realize that they don't want to go – they don't want to – quote unquote, default. Uh, And so, look, this is not a good deal for Democrats. It it just isn't because they wanted a clean debt ceiling increase with no progress at all on on spending, on permitting reform, uh, on uh, work requirements, on social programs, none of that. They're they're you know, they're going to hold their nose and take this. And so, you know, this whole thing where. Some people are saying, oh, the Democrats are talking like they're for it, so it must not be a, a great deal for Republicans. The reality is Democrats hate this, and that's why uh, I think you know we've made progress here. The, the Democrats, honestly, Tony, they, they did, they've got this new economic theory where the debt and deficit don't matter. It just doesn't matter. They're, they're like, we borrow this money, we're borrowing it from ourselves, why does it matter? And the reality is we all know on the conservative side it matters because the international bond market, our, our rating as a country, uh, and everything else will collapse if the United States is no longer considered the, the uh, you know, leader in the world on trusting that we will pay our debt back. Let me just say this also. Last year, roughly interest on our debt was roughly, don't quote me on the exact numbers, but roughly 400 and, 75 billion. This year it's going to be over 600 billion dollars because of higher interest rates. 600 billion dollars of taxpayer money just on the interest of the national debt. So, I'm for a balanced budget amendment. We got to get that done. We got to make Congress make tough choices. Um, this is a in my view uh uh advancement down the field, but it's certainly certainly not everything I wanted or what we need to do. So you're taking the incrementalist view of this. So just to be clear, you are a yes vote on this debt limit and budget deal. Yeah, I'm going to support it. And I think two thirds of House Republicans and uh, will will support it. Uh, I think we have to take an incre- incremental steps here. I mean, the Democrats are good at this. For example, in health care, Harry Truman campaigned on a, on a single payer government health care system. 
look what the Democrats have done over the last 70 years. They've taken incremental jabs at it, and finally the big one, Obamacare, happened, right? Whereas Republicans, in a lot of ways, you know, didn't address some of the issues in the healthcare space from a private sector uh, arena, and we got rolled. So now we have a healthcare system, you know, where the where the government has so much intervention, right? Uh, and that's the problem in healthcare. It, it's so expensive because the feds are involved in it everywhere. And so I I do take an incremental approach on this, but at the end of the day, I support a balanced budget amendment. Congressman Larry Bouchon, I'm up against it for time. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Bouchon, B-U-C-S-H-O-N, Bouchon.house.gov is where to find him, sir. Always a pleasure. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I guess the point is we're all just going to wait to see what happens. I assume this legislation passes. And I assume that this Republican Party has a long way to go to figure out this fracture. I really and truly do. They could all be orchestrated, allow the angry people to be angry to their constituents, allow these people to think this is a positive to their constituents, and Kevin McCarthy gets to move on like always. The point is is that we as a nation can't move on like always. The spending is still too high, and really nothing is bringing it down. And this legislation does not bring it down. Maybe I'm part of the problem because I won't reduce defense spending, but I won't. And I'd fight against it. And these Republicans better fight against it as well. Find everything at TonyCats.com. We'll talk about it tomorrow, everyone. Take care.